BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music and lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, Years Edition listener. It's Ryan Chang, correspondent for The Daily Show. You're about to hear an episode of one of our original Daily Show podcasts, Beyond the Scenes, hosted by Roy Wood Jr., It's the podcast where we dive deep into the segments and topics from The Daily Show with the show's writers, producers, and experts. This week, the show is nerding out about the world of black superheroes. Daily Show writer Ashton Womack, Daily Show senior producer Aaron Lamar Burleson, and contemporary artist Hebrew Brantley join Roy to discuss how black superheroes can bring more authentic black stories to the big screen. If you like the show, check out the Beyond the Scenes podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy! Welcome to Beyond the Scenes, the daily show podcast that goes deeper into topics and discussions and segments that originally aired on the daily show. Like, th- th- this is what you got to think of this podcast as. This podcast is like, you know, you know, you go to church, you go to church, so you can go to heaven. This podcast is them little sandwiches you get after church. Like, you know, you, you go to church and you, you praise the Lord, but then down there in the fellowship hall, they got them little finger sandwiches and they got all them little them little them little peppermints that be in the bottom of a back black lady's purse. That's what this podcast is. I, I think that analogy worked. <laughs> <laughs> this Black History Month, we are taking a look at a CP time I did not too long ago about the history of black superheroes. And we talked about some of the more notable superheroes in black history. Give me the clip. Black superheroes are not new. In fact, they've been squeezing into spandex for decades. They did as far back as 1936, when cartoonist Jay Jackson created Speed Jackson in the Chicago Defender newspaper. Speed Jackson was a former track star at Howard University who was an excellent fist fighter which may not sound powerful compared to today's superheroes with their laser eyes and sticky spider hands, but you have to think about it like sports. Today's best athletes are the pinnacle of human physicality, while the best athletes from the 1930s were just the ones with the least polio. Times change. Jackson used his abilities to fight against fascists during the war and right the wrongs of a racist society, which is tough because superpowers don't help when you fight in systemic racism. Doesn't matter if you have the strength of 10 men if none of those men can get a mortgage. To help me dive a little bit deeper into this topic, uh, we got a lot of brothers. We're going to go around the horn here real quick. First up is a certified nerd and stand-up comedian and daily show writer, uh, 
Super nerd, Ashton Boy, man. <laughs> what up, Roy? Ashton Boy, man. Don't, I ain't trying to disrespect you, gangster. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You know, you still Houston. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have you been on this show? Like, what number is this again? Like, you have to, like. I think this is, like, my fourth time. Give or take. Give or take. Yeah. <laughs> also joining us is a comic artist who creates narrative-driven work and incorporates his own character creations into his work, Hebrew Brantley. Hebrew, how you doing today? What's up, Roy? I'm great, man. I'm uh, I'm, I'm glad to be on. So I appreciate you guys having me. Well, appreciate you for being smart enough to not join us in this hot-ass studio. <laughs> nice and air-conditioned where you are. Television is torture, Hebrew. It's torture. <laughs> also, for the very first time, this man's work has helped make this podcast happen up until now. We have a senior producer and self-professed geek of all things, Aaron Lamar. Brelson, Aaron, how you doing? Testing one, two. Wow. This is how it feels like going beyond the scenes. Yeah. All right. Yes, All right. Actually be, I'm, yeah. I'm doing great, Roy. It's a, it's a pleasure and honor to be on the show with you're you all. Normally, you're normally helping to produce all these segments and yeah. put all the wheels on the car so it can go vroom. But uh, thank yes. you for settling in on this one. Because Ashton, we was like, yeah, we talk about black geeks. And Aaron was like, well, you know, I have a lot to say about this. Topic. <laughs> I think I'll just write myself into the episode. Yeah, I was like, you should be the episode. What are we? What are we here for? So, I'll I'll go around the horn to the three of you first. I want to know when you first started reading comic books and becoming engrossed in the world of comic books, and when you recognize your first black comic superhero. Because I'm gonna be honest, for me, I grew up with budget limitations, and so you yeah. know where I'm from, you could really choose one of two things: you could collect baseball cards or you could collect comic books. You could not afford both. And with a little bit of extra money I did have, I would spend that on video game magazines. Shout out to yeah. GamePro, mm-hmm. shout out to Electronic Gaming yes. Monthly, shout out to mm-hmm. Nintendo Power. So game I never- Yeah, yeah Game, game Informer. Informer. I was like, you speaking to my nerd heart right now. <laughs> so I never I never dealt with the comic books. And so there would be kids in middle school that had the comic books, but I just, I what I knew of comic books was the cartoons. If it didn't have a Saturday morning cartoon, I couldn't tell you anything about it. Mm. Knew nothing, mm. but I could name you who was on the bench for the Cincinnati Reds in 1988. <laughs> so that's a different type of nerd. That's still in the, you still in the house. So, but but this is but this is a world that I really do not have much of a. It does not connect to my childhood. If I'm just being 100, so I want y'all to walk me through how you all got connected in the comic books. Ashton, I'll start with you. But how did you get into comic books, and what was the first like sense of representation that you saw? I would say the way I got into comic books was I grew up on Fox. They had weekday afternoon cartoons. Yeah. You would watch X-Men. You would watch all the superhero cartoons. And that sparked my love for comic books. Now, the first superhero that actually got me truly loving superhero, it's always been black superheroes. My first superhero I loved was Meteor Man. He was, uh, oh. yeah, It's not a comic book. It's a movie. Robert Star- Townsend. Robert Townsend. So many famous black actors. But when I was growing up as a kid, we would watch Meteor Man. 18,000 times a day. So then to that point, Aaron, what did you discover? Because Meteor Man, is a, that's a movie, you know, and Ashton, you know, he's kicking back with his pops watching something that yeah. probably was, that movie was a little grown. <laughs> yeah. It's a classic. It was a little grown for your, you like five, six years old. Uh, what about you, Aaron? How'd you get into, like, where did you go to get them? Because, yeah, like, comic books was, that was a white side of town errand. 
And growing up, for me, growing up in Birmingham, you did not go to the white side of town unless a white oh. classmate had a birthday or unless it was time to go Christmas shopping. Yeah. That was literally another universe. Yeah. So where are you even finding the comic books to buy? Like, who is your people? How did you get into this? You know, I have to give a lot of credit for a lot of my, you know, geekdom and fandom to my older brother, Brian. You know, he was an avid collector. Um, so he had a bunch of G.I. Joe comics. Um, but it was when he was growing up and going away to, you know, um, college and everything, he let me inherit his, uh, comic book collection, which had a, lo- a lot of the 1970s, um, Batman comic books, you know what I mean? And that, you know, vintage blue and, um, gray jumpsuit. And so you get a lot of those like seventies and eighties Batman comics, death in the family where you see the second Robin passing away by the hands of the Joker. And so I was really fortunate to have an older brother who was into a lot of geek stuff, Star Wars, Batman, G.I. Joe. And so it was from inheriting his comics that I developed a joy and love. In addition, you know, Ash and I as well was watching all those weekday cartoons in the afternoon, X-Men and Batman, the animated series. So really developed and coalesced through, I mean, I think the animated series for Batman is one of the groundbreaking series of all time. And so it was really in that pocket that I, I, I really embraced you know my geekdom in a way and grew to have a, such a love affair with this art form now hebrew you took it to another level because you started drawing and actually trying to do something with all this stuff unlike these two shiftless negroes so I just <laughs> how did representation you know how did that inspire your work like did you ever feel a moment and you know in ash and aaron feel free to jump in on this as well was there ever a character where you're like oh damn that's going to be my through line or that's the one that that inspired me to go to the next level with this no man you know i'm 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 probably a little older than you know the brothers on the panel and i think for me it was like i came into it through my mom my mom was just a reader my mom would read everything and she just wanted me to be a reader and i i wouldn't connect with anything you know like i would pick up something, start it and not finish. And then she introduced me to comic books, but it was her way. So it was like Archie and all that shit that I, excuse me, I don't know if I can curse. No, you know, you can curse. But, you, okay. Yeah. All right. But, but uh, you know, the stuff that, again, it just was a little too white for me, you know, and, and, and wasn't funny. And then I gravitated more towards like X-Men and all that stuff. And I think that like, you know, my first introduction before comics or kind of maybe at the same time, to black heroes is a questionable black hero, which is Panthro from Thundercats. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The Panthro. mechanic. They just always made him yeah. fix shit. Exactly. <laughs> that was it. And then he had nunchucks. You know what I mean? <laughs> Niggas love nunchucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's just do that. And it was, you know, you know, Panthro was voiced by the, the grandfather on the Cosby show. Oh, yes. Yes. No, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And it was, so, you know, he had that deep black man, like, you know, I felt like it was my grandfather talking to me. So, and that I was his was, character in the show. He was like kind of voice of reason. He was the yeah, he's like, Lionel, like, you being a pussy. Like, come uncle. on, stop now. Like, but yeah. yeah, let's stop. Let's stop this shit. But, um, but no, but in all sincerity, like, that was sort of my way in. And then it was like, you know, the uh, 11 year old boy in me saw Storm. And yes. that was like, oh, okay, that's this. This is speaking mm-hmm. to me on a few le- a few levels, right? It's okay, not just, now we cooking, okay, right, right, right. <laughs> but you know, when it came to my stuff, I think you know it wasn't. I think it's just a combination of just like all these things that I've sort of ingested over the years. You know what I mean? Like these different uh, different heroes, different characters. But you know, I think man, we all were hooked on blonde haired, blue eyed Superman for the longest time, right? Because that's all we were fed. 
Yeah, you know, the closest I came to comic books, I would read comic strips mm-hmm. in the newspaper every day. I grew up in a newspaper house, so especially yeah. on Sundays, we pass the paper around the table and you just read all the different sections. And so, you know, to that point, Hebrew, like, I'm trying to think. And, you know, Birmingham media, especially print media, is hella conservative back in those days. So I don't even think I saw the boondocks until late 90s. But to me, the blackest thing I saw in the newspaper was uh, the Phantom. Mm-hmm. And he was I, yeah. a vigilante. Mm-hmm. He was tan up shit. <laughs> no, only reason why I thought he was black because he was in, in the jungles all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, he's a black superhero. <laughs> and then the movie came out. They had Billy Zane. Billy Zane playing. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out I to Billy Zane. I thought that was Zane. the original Black Panther for real. Uh, <laughs> black at all. It, it was such a lack of black characters out there. I had to identify with Beast from the X-Men because he was blue at least. And so mm. someone that you can still see yourself in because... You couldn't really see yeah. yourself in Cyclops. You couldn't really, even though you have Wolverine and he was dope, you couldn't see yourself in that. So at least with Beast being blue, you can still kind of see it a little bit. It's not till you get Bishop coming to the X-Men 2, where Bishop is just this strong, like six foot six black guy with like wavy jet black hair. And just now call through. it what it is. Bishop had a Jerry curl. <laughs> he had a Jerry oh, curl. curl. Bishop looked like he was a running back for the race. <laughs> 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 Defensive lineman. <laughs> but, how, but how did that make you feel, Hebrew and Ashton? Like when you saw a brother that looked like your uncle from a family barbecue in a comic book? Because I remember seeing, for me, it was Bo Jackson, Frank Thomas, Ken Griffey Jr. Those were the three black athletes that mm-hmm. made me feel like, oh, he's doing, especially Bo, because he's from around the corner, in the Birmingham suburb. Mm-hmm. So, like, I remember that feeling of, man, I can do this because he looks like me. Did Was that was that your character, Aaron? Was Jerry Curl, man? <laughs> Bishop, Bishop was that. I mean, because at that point, you're really grasping for some sort of representation. So you get that with Bishop, right? You have a person who's not from the time period that the X-Men are taking place, and he's from a dystopian future, and he's coming back to right the wrongs that kind of led way to his horrible um, future, you know, where he is inhabiting. So... But Bishop was a little bit off his rocker, you know what I mean? But it was okay, because yeah. he was he was really cool and militaristic in a way. So I, I really gravitated to that. Hebrew, I'll start with you on this question. Do you think that black cartoons outside the mainstream get enough credit or get enough attention? You know, like within the mainstream culture, how much do, do black cartoons get their props from the mainstreams the way that they deserve? Is the tide changing-ish a little bit, or is it still kind of pick and choose? I think it's pick and choose, man. Like, I don't know any, I mean, besides, like, Boondocks, obviously that that had a, a, a real moment, right? And it still does. I think it kind of reverberates, you know, when you get people, you know, sort of reposting memes and things like that and how, how it sort of lived through. But You're talking overall, the strip of the cartoon or I, both? Well, really both, TV show. but more, okay. more, so, more so the TV show because that's what everybody, you know, like that's where a lot of people found it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think beyond that, man, there really hasn't been like we've only just been sidekicks, um, you know, to the white characters. And I'm not you know, it's just, you know, we get a proud family every now and then, you know, we have little blips on on the map. There's a but reboot, it's, I think, coming. There is. It's, 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 here, it's here. It's out. Yeah, it's, out. it's really yeah. fun. Um, it's really good. And it's, it's good. But again, like we don't you know, I, th- I feel like 
it's the it's the quota situation. It's, it happens in Hollywood all the time. I mean, a few years ago, you know, when Hollywood uh, found out that you know black was cool um, again after <laughs> Black Panther, um, I mean, black you, was profitable. <laughs> there you go, black. Yeah, exactly. We can make money <laughs> off these folks. Um, you know, it was just that thing of like let's retrofit uh, this character who was probably a white man. Uh, let's make him black. But they don't really change anything except for just you know replacing the actor or the person not necessarily reforming the character and i feel like that happens in cartoons and animation all the time where it's just like you know we have to feel the all right we have how many black kids do we have in this group what oh shit you know, let's get a black kid in here real quick um Give some you pink know hair. right <laughs> I mean, have y'all seen the new velma tv show no oh, i haven't yeah. seen it yet yeah. where shaggy's black Shaggy's black. Shaggy's black? It ain't Sha- even Shaggy. That, Shaggy, that Shaggy. Shaggy's black. He Shaggy. don't smoke weed. He don't even get high. I don't even know what kind of Shaggy that is. You know, <laughs> this, ain't sh- this is not Shaggy. I, like it, like the, when it comes to like what you're talking about, where they reskin white characters for mm-hmm. put a black face on white characters. Mm. We need representation, but that it's it's the other side of that. Is like, yeah, I, I like Shaggy. I, I've been watching Scooby Doo. You know what's wild about that too is that it's one of the things I feel like white people and black people both agree on. Because black people want their own stories, yeah. and white people don't want to see their favorite characters, you know, dipped <laughs> yeah. in chocolate. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I agree. They're like, uh, well, listen, you say that, and then you'd be like, hey, uh, you know, Jesus, that guy might have been, uh, he might have started off. <laughs> the original then, superhero. Yeah. <laughs> but then you even take something like, say, Miles Morales, Hebrew, yeah. Yeah. where you have Spider Man into the Spidey verse, right? which was an animated film with a black Spider-Man mm-hmm. who, you know, a whole Spider-Verse or whatever. And it did so well, there was there was rumblings for a quick minute. Oh, I bet they should do a live action Miles Morales. And then they was like, nah, we're just going to give y'all a sequel. <laughs> but I feel like that, that, you know, again, with that, listen, I, I, Miles is one of my favorite characters in comics. Um, yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I love the character, I, although they've never really given him to, uh, uh, you know, a decent black writer or group yes. of black creators, which they should have. But, you know, with that movie, I think that movie worked because it was just a good movie. Right. Like yeah. they they really honed in on making Miles feel authentic. His neighborhood feel, felt authentic. His his parents shit feels like Miles is Miles. Last name is Morales. And his dad's last name, what's his dad's last name, Aaron? Davis. It ain't Davis, <laughs> Davis right? Like, yeah. that's that's some real shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's no. not even his daddy. Right? Like, they, my last name, Womack. My dad's last name, Lomax. They just happen <laughs> to rhyme. They not the same. <laughs> so I think I think they did a good job in, in, in bringing in some authenticity. I think that we, we will start to see more of that. But, you know, again, it's like we're, you know, Hollywood's motivated by the dollars. And as yeah. long as, you know, Peter Park, like, We'll get the black miles in real time at one point, but you know, white, white, white Spider Man is uh is still you know very very bankable. So, <laughs> well, after the break, I want to talk to you a little bit more. Um, I want to talk to all of you actually about how we can introduce new black characters, new black IP into the world of comic books and eventually matriculating into television and profitable movie franchises for you Hebrew, but also. <laughs> The hurdles that you've dealt with in trying to break through new concepts and what that world is like. This is Beyond the Scenes. We'll be right back. 
Hey guys, it's Ray from the Bobby Bone Show here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Let's go! Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the hills to the trails all over. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating, up to eight passengers, yeah. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out amazing national sales event deals on RAV4s, Highlanders, and more. Visit buyatoyota.com. That's buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Beyond the scenes, we are back. We are talking the world of black superheroes and why we only get the same couple of superheroes remix, even though we got a whole universe of black stories waiting in the queue to be told. One of our guests has been creating some of these characters. Now, Hebrew, walk us through this journey because I, I, I want to talk a little bit this break just about a lot of the existing black movie IP and how it came to actual fruition. But I want to talk with you first just from the ideation of drawing a character, creating the character, creating a comic around the character. Walk us through that journey of what that was like because are you writing, are you creating a character, like like with television, like Ashton, I know you know this, like with television, the trick is do you want to write and create a character that you know everybody will gravitate towards that they'll like, or are you writing what you like? And then you making people get on board with what you're into? Well, I think for me, my journey is real unique in the way that I didn't start out trying to create a comic or anything like that. I, I, you know, I come from the world of high art, right? So like, you know, paintings for galleries, museums, et cetera. And in doing that over the years and trying to find my voice, I kind of accidentally landed on this idea, a lot of the work that I was doing early in my career, it had it had a lot of angst to it. You know, it was very pro-black or maybe a little bit too much, you know, skewed a little too dark or heavy handed, so to speak. And I think, you know, within the gallery world in that space, you kind of have to, you know, you have to walk a line. You know, there's there's mm-hmm. you have to be very clever about how you say certain things. Um, and so for me, it was like. You know, the, the advice that I got from a lot of my my peers was like, man, you know, you have to paint things that you know, that you're familiar with, the things that feel like you. And for me growing up, a, you know, a self-professed sort of black nerd on comics, cartoons, anime, all that shit, trying to really figure out what that was. And it wasn't until, you know, a few years after college where I had found myself in that place that we all do where it's like, man, what's, what's the next thing? And, you know, I... I found a book on World War II, just was thumbing through it and and landed on the Tuskegee Airmen. 
And with Tuskegee Airmen, you know, I, man, it was just, it was like a lightning bolt that hit me because it was like, man, nobody has really touched on these brothers from the standpoint of like, like their journey was so powerful. It struck me in this way because the time in which they existed, the time in which they were charged with doing certain things, our, our world was a mess. I mean, it's yeah. not that different from what it is now, but we're talking, we're talking world war. We're talking, uh, you know, within America, blacks are, you know, treated significantly less than, right? But then yeah. they're allowed and tasked to fly these planes and they do it successfully. And these brothers are buttoned up and, you know, they are the, mm -hmm. the, the sort of personification of what manhood is, right? And, mm -hmm. and what heroism is. And so I found that and I just thought about like, man, like what if there was like this, 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 this character or these characters that existed that time just kind of forgot about? Right. Like mm -hmm. it happens all the time. These cartoons that fall off the shelf and never get seen. And so I created Flyboy, which became sort of my staple IP, but as kind of a lark, like within the mm -hmm. high art space of just like creating this show, like presupposing that I found this this animation project that never that never saw the light of day. And I presented it like that to my audience and like some found footage. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was kind of, you know, just bringing people in that way, because I felt like that was the easiest way th than just to say, you know, hey, I created this thing whole cloth. Check this out. Um, and and it, it, it people started to bite, you know, folks coming to the show. The response was great, but it wasn't just a response to like, you know, because there was no narrative behind it, for real, for real. Like, there was no story through line or anything like that. But people so started gravitating. So you didn't gravitate. present him as a Tuskegee Airman. Did you present him as black or was he just all goggled up and scarfed up? Goggled, black-faced little kid, mm -hmm. you know, with or without superpowers. Take it, you know, take it what you will. But I think that people were allowed to read into it. And I yeah. think that there was sort of like this message behind it of empowerment yeah. that people really, you know, they they they, they felt. And so... As I started doing more and more shows, the expectation for more and more of these paintings, you know, grew and people were coming to the shows looking for Flyboy. I had people making, you know, mm -hmm. like little Halloween costumes, just, you know, cheap little, little aviator goggles, red, red scarves, etc. And so it just grew into a thing where, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't intended to be, you know, a thing that I continued on with. It was intended to just be this moment. But. As it started to grow and my understanding of it started to grow, I started to attach narrative to it because, you know, nobody knew the origins or they, they weren't coming for that. They were just coming for the aesthetics and the messaging behind it. And so, you know, a few years back, I finally, uh, you know, created a comic, you know, it was my first run. And, you know, like any junior, you know, novice to a thing, uh, I pretty much wrote myself into a corner by issue two. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I like i like killed off one of the main characters by issue two and i was like oh shit um so, so i kind of had to like you know wheel it back but like let those things exist on an island by themselves and then sort of retool and and, and recreate something but again all that to say that you know it wasn't me intending to make something uh to make this what it what it what it's become it was sort of a happy accident but, you know, again, through that has, has, has bared, you know, a lot of really, really, really strong fruit. OK, so then you create Flyboy and then you're you're eventually going to be at a crossroads if you aren't already that a lot of black content creators are going to be at now where you have an idea 
And the trade-off for exposure and money is new cooks get to come in the kitchen and tinker with the seasoning on this dish that you've perfected up until this point. How difficult is it to try and navigate deciding on how to hold on to your IP as things start to grow? Because when we talk about this idea that there's this backlog of all of these black ideas and black comic strip shows that are out there that deserve to be seen and deserve to be made in the movies, but how much of it is the studios and the labels and the distribution networks creating an impossible contract that you just possibly can't agree to and is that one of the hurdles that is keeping something like say Flyboy from truly expanding to something even greater from flying if you will (laughs) (laughs) to soaring (laughs) like like how like how difficult is it to try and keep control of your IP because you're trying to grow this shit yeah. But then to grow it, you got to give it to somebody that gets to go, I do whatever I want. And we can make Flyboy and give him a sister and Flyboy can tell him, let's make him <laughs> yeah. 34. Flyman. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a task. But I think for me, again, my situation is unique in the sense that, like, I, this isn't a comic book, right? That you're selling for five bucks, right? These are paintings that sell for, you know, thousands of dollars right you These gotta are take co- your prices don't tell them your prices collectibles but you know these are these are collectibles that i've created and statues that i've created that you know are now seen all around the world these are collectibles that you know go on ebay for triple the price you know you're talking four or five thousand dollars for some plastic you know figurines and with that you know, it kind of changes my narrative when coming into Hollywood, because it's like the product is proven. And, you know, I'm only doing this on a smaller level when it comes to, you know, I'm keeping it contained at a very limited number, but you know, it's proven. Look, these are the numbers here. And this is just, this is just me doing it. So, you know, if we start to bring this thing out to the masses, you know, it's going to obviously change and you're going to, you know, get more eyes around it, gain more fandom around it. And, you know, obviously, you know, it, 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 it's, it's able to grow, the IP grows, et cetera. But just me being able to do it on my own is already, I think, a lot more than most are able to kind of come in the game with. Like uh, most folks are coming in with the idea, if it's, a, if it's a book or if it's a script, you know, that's not as leverageable as, you know, building out a world, doing, you know, exhibitions i did an experiential exhibition yes. in chicago a few years ago called nevermore park where basically i, I created the world of flyboy and you kind of walk through in, in this experience basically through an origin story of this character right and mm. you know we had like we had a couple hundred thousand visitors to it i bought like like fifty thousand tickets for cps students so they were able to kind of come through you know it, it really expanded <clears throat> you know, our, um, again, our fan base in, in a lot of ways and, and also showed them sort of another side because they're only familiar with the paintings. And, you know, again, having had all of that gives me a little bit more leverage in those conversations with different studios. Ashton, Aaron, why don't studios accept the fact that black superhero hit movies are not an anomaly. It 
irks me yeah. that the first Iron Man is credited yeah. with being the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic. rise. Yeah, universe, yeah. It irks me when we all know the truth Yeah, is that it was Blade. We do. We do. Now, uh, they didn't connect Blade to none of the other shit, and maybe that's why they try not to write it off. Blade had a budget of about 40, 45 million, if I'm not mistaken. Grossed about a hundred. Yeah. It made about a hundred. So, it, it did, no, it did one thirty. It did about one thirty, one forty. It made, yeah. it made its money back, and then another hundred million. Yeah, give Enough or take. To justify a sequel, right? Like, two, yeah. two sequels. Yeah, and, it got now, yeah. it got sequels and a TV series, which Spike canceled because they said they couldn't afford the special effects. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> So why don't these films like why why like let's just talk about the erasure of Blade? Yeah, is there do do you think do you even agree with that point, Aaron? Let's just start there. Oh, like, absolutely. Do you think there's been a degree I, of- I mean, we can go a step further. And just talk about the erasure of Wesley Snipes, but um, <laughs> I think well he would have paid his taxes. I mean, well, you know, um, him and Ryan Reynolds didn't get along. In yeah, era when yeah, he tried they, to play Wesley uh, as a diva. But the thing about Man, it, I heard, I heard that story. Yeah, it was a lot of it was a lot of commotion apparently with that uh, Blade Trinity production. But we have to take it back to the 1990s and understand that before Blade, the film, there isn't a successful Marvel film adaptation at that point. You nope. have the Captain America film, which is from the 1990s, which is oof, it's not what we have with Chris Evans now. And then Dolph Lundgren Punisher failed. Dolph Lundgren Punisher, cult classic, but not a hit by any means. And then you have this buried Roger Corman Fantastic Four film um, that wasn't even released to the general public, and you can only find copies of it at Comic Con. And so Marvel was doing this thing of licensing out their characters, not building an overall universe, but licensing them out to 20th Century Fox, licensing them out to Columbian Pictures. Um, Sony and just seeing what it got it wasn't as much of a creative powerhouse in the film game as it is today and so you get this film called Blade which is rated R which is bloody violent vampire flick action flick and it literally it, it becomes a hit it becomes a hit because of the performance of Blade because of this representation of this black superhero but it also creates a door for us to get X-Men in 2000 for us to get Spider-Man in 2002 and all the various films that that come and kind of give us modern contemporary visual adaptations of superheroes on film and so I just think it's just one of those things where people don't want to give black characters or black actors or performers the credit and it's old-fashioned racism yeah. they're trying to you know qualify with different metrics and whatnot but blade was a hit to generate two more films in a film in a series adaptation but again they want something more um but at no point did they go what are some of the mother black characters we got in the no, vault like no. why didn't marvel go digging the crates yeah I, because I really yeah. a lot of those characters are whack as hell like, let's, just, let's be but, real. Why you? Yeah. Well, he, let's he, be real. Black Panther. Think about like the yeah. one of the uh, hurdles they had to come, overcome with Black Panther was uh, Mbaku's character. He was just a racist gorilla in the comic books. Right. He was just straight yeah. up a gorilla, yeah. like a, yeah. a monkey. That was his power, monkey man, or, some, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they had to like actually cont- like make him a modern character for today and get rid of the racist trope that he was. So I'm sure wow. they go and look through their their, their list of uh, black characters and half of them are just stereotypes. Even with Black Panther, Black Panther, you know, was a character that was created by Jack Kirby. Rest in peace, Jack Rest Kirby, one of the greatest King. comic book creators yeah. of all time. But 
you know, Jack Kirby's not a brother, and I'm pretty sure, like, I don't, I don't think Jack had many brothers on his Rolodex. Like, hey, man, I'm guess. creating this character yeah. called the Black Panther. Can right? I run like, it by you for yeah. notes? Right, <laughs> right, let me get these notes involved. Also, hold on, can I, can I just shout this out? This is a very, very proud moment in my life of nerddom. But my, my paintings and my figures were in Wakanda forever. In, Ooh, in, in that's, hard. <laughs> that's hard. That's hard. Shout out to that. <laughs> it was like the biggest nerd moment. I, I, you know, it was all quiet in the theater, and I saw my Bro. shit, and I just let it. Oh, <laughs> that's fire! You be like, yo, this movie, the greatest movie in the world. I don't know. I love this movie. All right, then let's let's stay on that detour for a second. Then, that's how nice. do you get that call? Do you get a call from like? Secret number unknown. And it, <laughs> hello, he is it, um, yeah. is it uh Samuel L. Jackson with an eye patch and shield? He's recruiting. <laughs> you get a phone call. How you doing, brother? This Ryan Kugler. It has uh, to be Nate Moore or somebody. Nate no, Moore. I feel so, like it's just, yeah. I, I I know I know Ryan through through Mike. Right. So I got I got a chance to hang out on the first Black Panther set. Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, Mike B. Jordan. Okay. Sorry. Oh, he just, um, just Mike. I know. I know. That was wild. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was like, <laughs> Michael Jordan? You know Michael Jordan. <laughs> I was like, do I know Mike? Is this somebody I know? Is this a Mike we all know? Oh, man. Um, oh, of, of B. Jordan fame. Okay, yes. got you, got you. <laughs> <laughs> of the B. Jordans. Um, and so, you know, I was able to kind of go, you know, that route. But again, the space that I kind of move maneuver in, in terms mm -hmm. of like, you know, black visual artists, you know, on the on the painting and, and sculpting side. And again, playing multiple wearing multiple hats. I'm one of few. So I think that, you know, that kind of helps me maneuver and get to get to know some of these folks. And um I saw Ryan Kugler in Atlanta when he first was coming back to start Black Panther Two. Uh we ran into each other at the hotel and I was like I was messing with him. I was like trying to juice him for, you know, some uh some some gossip i needed to know what was what was gonna happen yeah, give me some script line yeah, story give, give line. me something yeah of course he didn't give me shit but it was cool but i think <laughs> that like i i would like to think that you know as ryan is sculpting this and this is so you know black panther is so cultural right it's not just about wakanda but like when you look at even wakanda forever like there's lines about fenty beauty in there there's you know it's it's black culture it's not just this fake african culture and so i think that you know they do such a good job of being fully immersive and aware of what's going on, you know, outside in, in this world that they bring into this Marvel world to make it feel real for us. And I think that, you know, yeah. the character Riri being from Chicago, me being sort of, you know, Chicago's, you know, you know, some of my characters sort of being the mascots in certain instances for mm -hmm. Chicago. I think that it was just, you know, it was one of those things that just really worked. And I'll be honest with you, and this is going to sound like a flex, but, you know, it takes so long to make these movies that I forgot they even mm -hmm. asked to use it because it was like four <laughs> no. years ago. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's true. So, That's true. you know, it was like when I watched the movie, you, you're in the movie and then I see my shit on her desk in the workshop and then I see my shit <laughs> on the wall and I'm like, oh, my God. That's like, <laughs> so, <laughs> me and you different. You show me something I did four years ago. I'm going to be like, I'm going to need that. I'm going to need a cease and desist. Uh, I need that taken down. I need all that. <laughs> After the break, I want to bring it home and talk about how we can expand black storytelling, you know, not only in comic books, but as it gets into television and what is what do you think could happen and what you think 
probably won't happen. I, I got a question for, for all three. Hey, guys, it's Steve Cavino from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck... You buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold this value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. To the break. This is Beyond the Scenes. Beyond the Scenes, this has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation about black comic books and black superheroes and, you know, whether we can get a couple more on the screen that aren't remixed versions of old 1942 stereotypes. I'm going to write me a black superhero. It's going to be called Jive Turkey, you did. <laughs> and every time he kills somebody, he go, you did. I like that. I, I, you tell me, I bet you that shit get green lit by That's what I'm saying. <laughs> now, I'll never be able to go back home to Birmingham again. <laughs> or will you I be will, a hero in Birmingham? I, no, I can't, can't go to Essence Fest after you write a movie called Jive Turkey. <laughs> you did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got another idea. It's like Teen Titans, but they call the Young Bloods. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> How honest can the black experience be infused into black superhero narratives? Do you think there is still space for expansion, Ashton? I mean, I not do I think there I know there's space for expansion. Will it get made though? I mean, it's up to us. We gotta I mean it's up to us. We can't let white media or American media control the stories that we tell. I feel like one of my inspirations is Toni Morrison. I'm mm. pretty sure she was like, I tell stories. I don't exclude black people. I, I mean, I exclude white people. I tell stories from a black experience and they're for black people. That's the kind of superhero story I want to see. A story that's truly all around made for black people. It, it, it involves every aspect of black culture and it does not have to capitulate to modern mainstream America, modern society have to like do. Why is it always black stories that have to do reach across the aisle so everybody mm -hmm. else can feel uh, seen and accepted? We ain't never been nobody reached across the aisle for us. Why can't I tell because a story that's it revolves around the dollar? I think for me, being able to spend a little time in, you know, Hollywood and, and having all these conversations, right? Like, you know, studios are. I mean, you know, these cats, they're not original and it's the dollars, the bottom line. So I'm going to reach back in a catalog of things that we've done already that people are familiar with because yeah. once upon a time it lived and we're going to redo that to death. And then we ain't got nothing else. Right. Hopefully 
we have our our, our Ryan Kuglers or our yeah. you know our our Jordan Peels. Those are the only brothers that are would be allowed yes. to introduce something new at this moment, right? Like with you a have, little bit of radicalness to it. Yes, approved, right. state yeah. approved. Because radical. maybe because Ava Duvernay, Ava yes. Duvernay might yes. sl- maybe mm-hmm. she might get in there. <laughs> I think so. I mean, but yeah, and, and yeah, not to exclude Ava at all. I think she's absolutely one of those ones. Yeah. But, you know, it's going to take someone of, of that ilk to get that thing across. I think like you look at the time in, in the 90s, you talked about uh, somebody mentioned, you know, Meteor Man, oh. right? Like Meteor Man doesn't get made even as a comedy if mm-hmm. Robert Townsend doesn't have all that goodwill that he, he's built up. Five heartbeats. Hollywood right. Shuffle. Hollywood Shuffle. Right. I'm going to get you some. And, Hollywood Shuffle is what got those, him. And those relationships. Yeah. yeah, those relationships that he's built with all these phenomenal black comedians and talent where he can get, you know, get those folks in at a price so he can make his movie at a price, right? And again, it still kind of had to be, you know, it's not to down Medium Man because I love Medium Man, but it's, it's it had to be a comedy, yeah. right? It mm-hmm. had to be a comedy. And it definitely plays on those 90s tropes of like, the bad neighborhood and the gangs, the golden laws, right? Like, Don <laughs> Cheadle, Don Cheadle, right. where you going? Give me your right. purse, old bitch. Right. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, the thing about Meteor Man, it was a box office flop, right? And so, so when that crazy. happens, Robert Townsend goes into Hollywood jail, can't direct for a little bit, or has to go make The Parenthood on television, which is a great series as well. But yeah. also, you don't really get that Meteor Man too, And so... You know, and I think we kind of overlooked the importance of Black Panther being that it was Marvel's, I think it was Marvel's either 18th or 19th film at, at that point. And it was the first ever Marvel film to be nominated for Best Picture. And so just Marvel grossed everything that came before it. You know, and, and again, that's a that's a one part in a series of these episodic films that people are just like, okay, we're doing this film to get to the next point. But Black Panther was a cultural moment. It was a phenomenon. It, it was a phenomenon, really. And then Marvel was like, "Hey, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah." So look at that. Look at what we did. And so it's kind of like, you know, you get those hits, but to try to get to that level and to maintain that, I feel there's way more pressure on Black creators. There's way more of a see. We told you that it wouldn't sell, and then that opportunity gets yanked away when so many other folks in Hollywood can take swings and miss, but still be able to make other films. And so I think the playing field for us is very limited. And so you got to either get up and hit a home run. Or you might not get that chance, honestly. One of those challenges, though, Aaron, to what you're mm-hmm. saying, even when you're talking about Meteor Man, is that, yeah. you know, we haven't, we as, as, as black folks and folks of color, by and large, haven't been taught or haven't been welcomed into the conversation of science fiction. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, mm-hmm. if, if this hero is playing in, in theaters one through nine, and Tyler Perry is playing in theater 10. Listen, I mean, seriously, like I'm off the streets with my lady. I'm going on a date. I'm not speaking just of myself, but but mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Tyler Perry. That's a brand name for me. And and it's something relatable. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that, like, you know, the, the fact that categorically we have not been put into science fiction films in that narrative forever like we yeah. had we'd always be one of us right like yeah. you know billy d Williams was the only nigga in space 
for how long? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, right? Yeah. And so, when they so, finally let LeVar mm-hmm. Burton in space, he was blind. He, he was blind, <laughs> right? He, he had Star Trek next year. He had on some shades. <laughs> shout so, out to LeVar so, Burton, friend of the show. Shout out to LeVar Burton, man. <laughs> so to the creators, to the black content creators and writers that are listening to us, Hebrew, how do you allow your work to be the truest version of yourself? Like you have a coffee table book that you've just put together that's not for sale. At oh, all. what's oh 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 oh! It's right there. Oh, <laughs> oh, well, oh look at that! Oh, I can already tell from the cover of that book, Ashton. That's one of the books you put on the table and press women. Press, yeah, yeah. yeah, right. Hey, hey. Oh. it could be the only. It could be the only thing on the table too, yeah. <laughs> next to a glazed candle. <laughs> I don't know nothing about candles. Um, as you look back at all of the work that you've done, enough to put into a book, which is already a crazy accomplishment to think about, that you've done enough that you went, you know what? And I know that's not even everything you've done. That's just the hits. How did you allow your art to be the truest version of yourself mm. and not be influenced by what they might buy or what could, how did you stay true to what you wanted to do versus what you thought people wanted to see? I think my art has sort of always been a bit of like my own diary, right? My art always reflects where I'm at, you know, emotionally, mentally. And so I think that like, you know, with art starting out, there was not really a big risk. You know, you just do a thing. I'm working, I got two other jobs over here making, you know, horrible money, being a horrible employee, but it wasn't a risk to just go make some shit at night and paint and stay up all night and create some stuff. So I think that like starting out from an honest place of just like, I just need to express myself. You know, it's, it's, it's an easier upstart than, you know, I didn't have to start out from a place of like, I have to make things in order to pay the bills to survive. So I have to work according to everybody else's uh, sort of level or expectation of what is good and what's cool. The thing that stuck with me a long time ago was most deaf said, I just always wanted to grow up and make cool shit. And it's a very simple statement, but that's sort of how I lived in that sense of like, if I can always be honest with myself in, in my work, I'll be okay. No matter what other work I have to do, like I have my outlet and my outlet has now become my career and my occupation. Um, so, you know, just one of those things that really kind of worked out. I'm lucky. How, and I'll end with this question uh, to all of you. And we've already kind of talked about whether or not we think that there'll be more black superhero stories. I think that there will. I think, you know, whether or not they will be able to touch on all of the different intricacies that is the black experience across the diaspora you know, that's dependent on the producer and the level of trust the studio has in that director, blah, blah, blah. But once these fucking shows are on the air, do you think they'll give him time to find an audience? God <laughs> damn. So there was a great show on CW called Naomi. It was about a black mm-hmm. girl, teenager, early teen, middle school. Ava produced it, yeah. Correct. And yeah. then Michael B. Jordan, your, excuse me, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> He EP'd a show um, on Netflix, Raising Dion, Dion. Dion. Raising yeah. Dion, yeah. which was about a young a single mom raising a black boy with superpowers and how you navigate single mother, single parent with superpowers. Like being able to turn the genre on its head a little bit, but neither one of those shows, Naomi got a season. I think Raising Dion got two from yeah. Netflix, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. So 
how do we get these places to still just give shows time to find their audience? Or is that just strictly money and we're screwed? I think that's just the old days, man. This is this is all of the numbers game, you know, financial and and you know, viewership. I think it's just there's so many people buying for those spots and those slots and you know, the turnaround is just a lot faster these days where it's not network. So they don't have to invest so much mm-hmm. time and energy into, a. Uh, you know, look at Seinfeld, man. How many, how many seasons did it take for Seinfeld to actually pick up? Two, maybe yeah. three. Yeah. Right. He would have been canceled. He would have been canceled would, he, totally. in the present day. Least, That's yeah. my fear for the story of the black superhero is that even if these stories and the diverseness and the dis and the difference of all of the types of stories you want to tell, even if all that gets greenlit, once you're out there and you're on the playing field, are you going to get the support? Are you going to get the advertising? And are you going to be given the runway you need to actually find it? Like if the CW won't give you a chance. And nobody. <laughs> <home> of Black <laughs> Lightning and all yeah, those You're going to Tubi and that's it. That's yeah, CW is like, get out of here, Ava. We got to put on another season of Flash. Listen, we just got to, we got to leverage our white allies' privilege Taylor Swift, if you listen to this, I know what you did for Ticketmaster. Yes. Do that for Raising Dion season three. Yeah, bring <laughs> it right. back. But I, I think you speak to a really important point of like, there's a pressure for the artists um, to create that will have a long lasting effect and have success. And that's a hard place to come from, from an artist. Like Hebrew mentioned, he, you know, just created, you know what I mean? He was free to create. He wasn't caring about if this character or IP that he created would one day, you know, you know, connect with a, a larger, he was just doing him. And so I think more initiatives and programs for up and coming black voices and artists like the milestone initiative for black creatives for milestone comics. And I mean, we've already went so much time without even bringing up milestone bring comics, up Miles, yeah. which yeah, is basically, stuff, yeah. yeah, like formed by black creators um, with black characters, more of an authentic voice. And so they actually um, developed not too long ago, a pipeline program for aspiring black creatives who want to, you know, create comic book heroes and superheroes and play in that world. And so again, like I, no one can forecast the future, especially when it comes to media in particular, but what we can do is just develop, you know, opportunities to identify and spotlight some of those up and coming voices who can give us the next static shock, who can give us the next, you know, icon or, you know, rocket, someone like that who were featured in Milestone Comics that gave nuanced portrayals of blackness in in comic books, right? Like they gave us not just this binary approach to life for black people, but so much more. It gave us that world building aspect that you find a lot with Hebrews character Flyboy, you know? It's not just one character, it's a whole world of experiences that we're looking to build. And so if we can develop more programs like that and identify more up and coming voices, I think that's a that's a start. But like you said, you know, who knows when it comes to television and film, I mean, the bottom line is the dollar, and so we're always going to be fighting that. Well, I think that's as good a place to end. And also, CW, I forgot that you gave us a lot of seasons of Black Lightning. I'm sorry for raising my voice. <laughs> <laughs> With that aside, thank you so much, Ashton. Thank you, brother. Aaron. 
Uh, Hebrew, much respect you. to you. We look forward to seeing your work in Black Panther Part 3. And uh, <laughs> I, I have my lawyers reach out to you. You want some of your work in my movie, Jive Turkey. Let's, let's, let's get it. Jive Turkey, let's go. You don't mess around. Turkey. Hebrew might have a proof of concept right now. On I'm, trying to, you know, I'm trying to write myself in as a sidekick. So <laughs> Young Blood could be a team of people or one person. I'll be. And where can we get the book, Hebrew? Where can people order the book? Um, your local bookstore uh preferably you know people mm-hmm. they, they still they still exist folks uh please patronize you know uh mom and pop bookshops but other than that um the bald white man spot uh mr bezos uh <laughs> you can go to amazon and uh pick one up right there delivered right to you you know, Indeed. there's so many weird names of businesses in New York that I thought that was a real business. Just had, to say <laughs> had to say that. All right. Oh, man. This is a great discussion. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you all so much for going beyond the scenes with us. Give me some theme music. Listen to The Daily Show Beyond the Scenes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Explore more shows from the Daily Show podcast universe by searching The Daily Show wherever you get your podcasts. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now.